Hello there and welcome to Gore and Guilty. I'm Georgia. And I'm Greg. And this week we'll be talking about false confessions and false accusations. Ooh, two sides of the same coin. Oh yeah, it's gonna be good. So I will be doing the false confession side and Greg will be doing the false accusation side. I'm looking forward to this. I like the split. Mm-hmm. How are you, Greg? I am... Not so good, as usual. <laughs> I, I'm feeling unwell. We're persevering. Yeah. We're doing the podcast. If you guys think we're uncommitted, <laughs> never. Don't think that. Um, George has got the unpleasant experience of looking at me right now. It's kind of sweaty mess. And I just, uh, I don't know. I get ill so much, and I don't understand why. Like George has had to take care of me a couple times under the weather at uni. <laughs> Oh, yes, it is. It's so unfortunate because this is the first week that pubs have been open <laughs> where you can go and sit in a beer garden. And unfortunately, Greg is ill. It's oh, can't believe it. Yeah, and that's that's an unrelated coincidence. Some people yeah. have uh, suggested they could be related. And while I might have been in the pub several times earlier last week, I don't believe they're related. Unless this is the longest and most severe hangover I've ever had. But I'm still going. Yeah. I'm still going, and that's the that's the main thing. You're here, you're here, I'm exactly. Here. How how about you, Georgia? How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I um, did manage to get myself to a pub. It was nice to see people out and about. Slightly bit of normality, as long as you know we take the precautions, we're still safe. Um, it's nice to yeah have that atmosphere back. <laughs> yeah, so that's good. We put out a question box on our Instagram and some of you lovely listeners replied and we have chosen two to discuss today. We got some great ones, so thank you for engaging with us and being curious, which is what we're all about on Gore and Guilty. Yeah, absolutely. So the first question we will be answering is from Amandine and the question is, do we watch crime-related TV shows and if we do... Can we chuck some suggestions out there of ones we've really enjoyed? I started with... Did you ever watch The Bill? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Yeah, it was sick. I used to... So, for people that aren't aware, The Bill is like... It's pretty much a UK soap <laughs> that... It kind of was, wasn't it? Yeah. Very ludicrous, very overly dramatic, with crappy British actors. Oh, yeah. And, like, it would just, yeah, very, like, overly dramatic British crime drama slash soap. Uh, I used to watch that religiously as a young teenager. Yes, I would watch it absolutely every week with my dad, and we used to love it together. Oh, the memories. <laughs> so good. It is that classic old-school TV drama, cop show, one crime an episode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that one was... Uh, they cancelled it, sadly. Well, it probably wasn't that sad, because it was probably quite terrible. But as a young, like, 13, 14, 12-year-old, I used to bloody love it. <laughs> yeah, I would be interested to watch an episode now and see what I think of it. Uh, they still show, like, really old ones on Watch TV, and I was just... Oh, really? I, w- I watched some of them, I was like, oh my god, how did I ever find this entertaining? <laughs> so yeah, I, I know Amandine was looking for recommendations i wouldn't recommend the bill but that's kind of where it all started in terms of ones i'd actually recommend i got hooked on criminal minds for a while like the classic making a murderer 
the stairway, which I know we were both hooked on for a while, and... The Jinx? Oh, The Jinx, the Jinx. yeah, that was a sick one. That was a good one. Such a good show, and the ending, oh my. If you haven't watched it, you need to go and watch it. Don't worry, I won't be spoiling it, but, oh, it's a good one. It's quite hard to find, it's not on Netflix or anything, but me and Georgia were like, what? It's one of those ones that you can find on the internet. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. It's I think it's old enough that it's just still there. Um, but I can't remember where exactly I watched it. But yeah, I'm sure you guys can find it. Yeah, I highly recommend that. It's so good. I actually watched one uh, recently. It only came on Netflix yesterday, I think it was. Um, and it's called Why Did You Kill Me? And that's a really good one. Recommend that. And, oh, and Don't Fuck With Cats. <sighs> that one. Oh, Oh yeah, that's a good one. Awful. What was the one on Netflix with the, the pipe bomb around the dude's neck? That one was pretty crazy as well. Oh, yes. No, I do know this. Uh, and it's a lady, uh, the lady that did it. Evil Genius? Evil Genius. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that's the badger. It's like a fake bank robbery. It turned out to be a real bank robbery. I can't believe I started on the Bill and Criminal Minds now. I've actually watched loads. So I hope that... Amandine and the rest of our listeners that are wanting recommendations have their notepads out, frantically scribbling. (laughs) (laughs) Because there was a lot we rattled through there. (laughs) A Netflix TV show that I binged and thought it was very good. Um, It's called The Fall. Like, as in, oh no, I've fallen down. That kind of one. Um, Three seasons, binge watched it, recommend it. Oh, it's a doozy. What's that one about? It's got basically a sadistic killer in it and um, it kind of flips between the police's side as well as his side and whether he's going to get caught, whether he's not and you kind of go on the journey but they do it so well. Recommend. That does sound good. I'll have to check that out and watch that one. Obviously Dexter. I never finished Dexter. (laughs) Did you not? No, I never finished it. And what was the... Oh my God, I know we could probably rattle on about all these crime shows all day. What was the one... I think you watched it as well. It had the woman that used to be in Benny Dorm in it, and it had Jennifer Saunders, and it was about that guy's wife that went missing. Oh. The Stranger. The Stranger. The Stranger. That was good. Yeah, recommend that. That was good. That was yeah. shocking. I won't go into why, in case anyone watches it. But that was good. But the, the really sad part about that one is, like, I'm a big Jennifer Saunders fan. I loved Absolutely Fabulous, and used to love Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders who are like this, for people that don't know, like an old, not old, well they are old now, but they used to be like a comedy yeah. duo. And I was really hyped because I was like, oh my god, she's going to be in a drama series. And she ended up being in it for literally two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> should watch that we'd enjoy, then please let us know because we are always desperate to watch the next crime TV show. Evidently we've burned through quite a lot of them as well, so we need more suggestions. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that question with us how about another question georgia if we were to do a another podcast what would the podcast be about well what would you do actually go on you go first i went first on the last one okay so i would probably do it on like nature and kind of talk through different wildlife plants sustainable living eco-friendly kind of that kind of vibe maybe the things that people miss on a day-to-day basis because uh, nature's beautiful man <laughs> but yeah kind of that vibe that sounds like a really wholesome idea that's far more wholesome than mine which is pretty much like 
I'd quite like to just get drunk and chat shit. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is such a good idea. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. bit like um, the drunk histories where the celebrities goes and gets like really drunk and they just talk about a topic. You could just do that, but I'd love to do something like that. Just you know, a bit egotistical maybe, but just you know, some anecdotes from my life. Big crate of John Smith's beers or something. Which ah, oh, that'd be hilarious. Just crack yes. on. Yes. Oh, this is such a good idea. I think it would be really, really funny. Um, Greg has so many different stories and it definitely would be very entertaining. Maybe one season's worth, maybe two at a stretch. I'd have to maybe exaggerate some of them. <laughs> you just have to go out and do some crazy things or something. I'd have, yeah, I'd have to yeah. go out and start living life. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, I know it sounds ridiculous. Some things in my life, are they're almost like from a that someone's written them like just my life is <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you yeah, just can't write much. that can you oh funny maybe we'll share some of greg's tales in the future maybe maybe if Gordon guilty goes down the pan <laughs> i need a plan b Okay, so I thought I would start off by describing the three different reasons why someone might confess to a crime they didn't commit. The first one is voluntary. So someone would freely, without prompting, admit to a crime that they didn't commit. And this is usually to protect a third party. So maybe a parent-child situation. They're trying to divert the attention away from the person who actually committed the crime onto someone else. And sometimes people also voluntarily admit to a crime they didn't commit by wanting to gain the attention for the major crime, for notoriety, basically. For example, 500 people confessed to the Elizabeth Short case, also known as the Black Dahlia. How many? 500 people. What? I know, right? That's a lot of people that want to kill you. Exactly. Can't believe it, really. Another example is the Yorkshire Ripper case, where a man claimed to be him by sending hoax audio tapes and letters. He was later known as the Wearside Jack. John Samuel Humble was his name. Due to his Wearside accent, the police moved the case from West Yorkshire area, the area where Peter Sutcliffe was, to the Wearside. This prolonged his attacks and hindered the investigation for a further 18 months, which allowed Sutcliffe to continue his crimes. Over 25 years later, DNA analysis of one of the items Humble sent into the police enabled the police to find out who was sending them down the wrong path all those years ago. In 2006, Humble was sentenced to eight years for perverting the course of justice. Eight years, wow. Probably deserved. Yeah. 18 months he led the police down the wrong path and prolonged the crimes of Peter Sutcliffe. Unbelievable. So that's literally literally blood on his hands. Absolutely, absolutely. So the second cause for people to admit to a crime that they didn't commit is coerced, compliant confessions. Now this usually happens when a person is put under such a stressful situation and is so mentally exhausted that they'll either say that they did do it to avoid punishment that they believe, or maybe to even get rewarded for it. They believe that if they give the police what they want, they'll be able to leave afterwards. Sometimes people even confess 
if they enter a plea bargain, confess to a crime even though they didn't commit it, to ensure a lesser sentence after trial. This is where the read technique comes into it, which I will be explaining further as we go along. Is that the American interview technique? Sounds like you're going to explain a bit more in depth later, but yeah, I just wanted to check. Yes, it is. Yes, and it still goes on today in America. It is a US-based interrogation form that is still ongoing, and it's very interesting. The Good Johnson suggestibility scale will show whether you are likely to give a false confession and whether you're basically easily influenced. If you score high on it, you're more likely to. And the third and final reason why someone might admit to a crime they didn't commit is coerced internalised confessions. This is someone who is so affected by the interrogation process that they end up believing that they actually committed the crime. Quote, A suspect comes to believe in his or hers own guilt despite having no memory of committing the crime. For this to happen, it is believed that the suspect must lack confidence in his or her memory of an event or time period. An interrogator can take advantage of this weakness, sometimes unwittingly, through highly suggestive questioning and presented explanations for the suspect's alleged lack of memory. The suspect is unable to detect error and deflect the suggestions and being, and begins to adopt them until he or she finally comes to accept the guilt. Studies show that people with lower intelligence or with mental disabilities are more susceptible to false confessions. Also, younger people are more likely than adults, especially under stress, fatigue or have been traumatised. So those are the three reasons why someone might admit to a crime they didn't commit. Okay, so I'm going to go quickly through the read technique. It was developed in the 40s and 50s in the US, and it was designed to replace beating as a form of interrogation. I like that it's a replacement. That's a pretty low bar. So hmm, we need something that's a little bit better for humans than beating them. Let's maybe create something that's just a psychological beating instead. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I mean, it's, it's not much better. So the technique is illegal in many Western European countries, but it is still allowed in the US today. It involves three elements, factual analysis, interviewing and interrogation. Critics believe that it has an unacceptable high false confession rate and young and men. The accusatory process where the investigator tells the suspect that evidence and results show that they committed the crime. It consists of nine steps. One, confronting the suspect that they did the crime. Two, the police hypothesise why the suspect might commit the crime, trying to shift the blame onto somebody else to minimise the frequency of the suspect's denials. Four, accused will often give a reason why he or she did not commit the crime, but try to move this towards acknowledgement of what they did. Five, reinforce sincerity to ensure that the suspect is receptive. Six, the suspect will become quieter and listen. Move the theme of discussion towards offering alternatives. And if the suspect cries at this point, infer that that is guilt. Seven, impose the alternative question. Give them two choices of what could have happened, one being more socially acceptable than the other, 
the suspect is expected to choose the easier option, but whichever alternative the suspect chooses, guilt is admitted. There is always a third option, which is to maintain that they did not commit the crime, but I don't know how often that they provide that there is a third option during this discussion. 8. Lead the suspect to repeat the admission of guilt in front of witnesses and develop corroborating information to establish the validity of the confession. And 9. Document the suspect's admission or confession and have him or her prepare a recorded statement, either audio, video or written. Now you can see why this might influence someone into admitting to a crime that they did not commit. Yeah, I've watched some interrogations before with the re-technique and it is you can easily see how it gets so many false confessions because if you and they do this on kids as well and they'll be like oh we've got witnesses that have seen you there and to the point where you'd be questioning your insanity yeah so if you're like a kid and you're vulnerable and then you know say you're accused of i don't know like a rape or something and then you're you're told oh we've got witnesses that saw you do it or the victims named you as the person that did it like why did you do it was she leading you on and then they go into like, oh, you know, what was it then, man? Did she, did she just give you the eye and you turn into a rage, or was it just that she led you on and you? Yeah. And, then you, and like you say, is you, they give, offer an alternative that sounds less bad, but still suggests that you did the crime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They'll they'll use techniques of like, don't worry, we can sympathise why you might have done this. We understand why you did it, and it's such manipulation. It's unbelievable. Researchers have found that the police interrogators would only allow the person to speak for an average of 5.8 seconds before they interrupted. So they can't even explain their story in full. There are two other techniques of interrogation. One, the peace technique. Prepare and plan, engage and explain, account, closure and evaluate. And this is a less confrontational method that the UK use. And there's the second one, which is Kinesic Interview, a method that focuses on recognising deception. Okay, so this now leads me on to the case that I have researched, and then I'll be passing it over to Greg. <laughs> Thank you. So this is the case of Gary Gorger. Ruth, age 70, and Morris, aged 74, Gorger, were married, and they were dairy farmers, but they also owned a motorbike shop and sold imported rugs in the state of Illinois. On the 8th of April 1993, the elderly couple were murdered on their farm in McHenry County, Illinois. The following day, Gary Golger, 40, their son, found Morris's body and informed the authorities straight away. After the authorities arrived, they found Ruth's body in the trailer where they sold the rugs. Both of their necks had been cut. Straight away, the police saw Gary as the main suspect and put him through 18 hours of interrogation. That's mental. That's ridiculous. During the interrogation, the police lied and told Gary that he had failed the polygraph test, which actually had come back inconclusive, and that they had found incriminating evidence to prove that he committed the crime such as blood-soaked clothing and the murder weapon found in his bedroom, which are all completely untrue. At this point, he's found his parents that have been brutally murdered. He's sat through 18 hours of intense interrogation. 
he will be so exhausted that you probably would say anything just to make that stop. It feels like you're never going to get like a neutral response. 18 hours. That's you asking for trouble. If they're telling you it will stop if you just confess, you probably would just confess. Wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Gary said that the confession he gave was not a confession at all. He had been become so exhausted that he believed that he may have blacked out and committed the crime without remembering it. This is a mix of coerced compliant techniques as well as coerced internalised confessions. The police apparently asked Gary to describe a hypothetical scenario where he could have potentially murdered his parents. He did what he was asked and said he might have done it possibly during an alcohol-induced blackout. And this was taken as a confession. There was no tape recorded and there was no signed confession. However, this was the confession that was taken to court. 11th of January 1994, he was found guilty and sentenced to death for double murder. However, later on, this was changed to life imprisonment. So unethical. It's weird because you think that there'd just be no satisfaction in that for them because unless they, I guess they probably just get in their heads that they're certain that Offender X did it and they won't stop until Offender X admits to it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Morally, it's just unbelievable. But I think sometimes back then they would find the suspect that fits their profile, what who they believe could maybe commit the crime, and then will try to fit in all the different evidence to fit their story, rather than what they should be doing is gathering the evidence and following that to the right direction and who the suspect would fall in line with all of that. Unfortunately, this wasn't the case in this one. When did they find out it was a false confession? As in, like, is he free now? Yeah, I'll let you know. He is, uh, he is free now. One year later, in 1995, James Schneider and Randall E. Miller were two members of the Outlaw Motorbike Gang, and it was said that they could have been responsible for the murders. Mark Quinn became an informant for the federal government. Miller was secretly recorded confessing to the crime. Gary remained in prison for roughly a year more whilst McHenry County went through the evidence to make sure it was reliable. Oh, so they managed to find the killer by a different confession? Yeah, so basically, Mark Quinn was an informant, got into the gang, and managed to record Randall saying he did the crime. In March 1996, it was determined that his confession was illegally obtained and there was no evidence that he committed the crime, and was illegally arrested without probable cause. His confession was overturned and he was released from prison as his charges were dismissed. He was released from prison on the 4th of October 1996. James Schneider and Randall E. Miller were convicted of the murder of Ruth and Morris Gorger, as well as 34 accounts of racketing, which is fraudulent business. Miller pled guilty for the crimes related to the murder in 1998 and was sentenced to 45 years. Miller was convicted in 2000. The recording of the conversation made by Quinn in which Miller said the authorities could not link him to the Gorger crimes because he was careful and didn't leave any physical evidence. 
This was the evidence they needed to pin the crime on Miller. In 2002, Gary was pardoned by Governor George H. Ryan. And in 2004, he received $60,150 for compensation of the crime from the Illinois Court of Claims. But the federal lawsuit against the county officials was dismissed. So there you have it. That is the case of Gary Gorger. Now, oh, I'm so thankful that he managed to get out. But what an unbelievable case. The fact that that confession was taken seriously and the death penalty were on the cards. Also, what didn't help is the fact that the two outlaw motorbike gang members were so careful in not leaving any physical evidence. If they hadn't have been so cocky with uh, saying, admitting that they committed the crime and was secretly recorded, this crime could have gone take this this case could have taken a very very different route. It's crazy to think that Gary Gorger could have been in prison for a lot longer if they hadn't managed to find the real perpetrators through that confession. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and they probably still use the re technique there. Oh, I think it's so terrible that it's still about. Especially when there's such a high rate of false confessions. How can you truly believe anything anybody says if this technique is involved? Not good. Not good. Naughty American police officers. Shock. Okay, cool. Should we jump into the the other side of the coin then and I can talk through the case I found for interesting false accusation? Yes, absolutely. I look forward to it. I'm going to talk through the case of Carl Beach. Have you ever heard of that case? No, that name does not ring a bell. Interesting. The headline is that Carl Beach swindled the UK police by making up a story about a VIP paedophile ring that abused him as a child. Oh, right. Wow. It was pretty out there story. I'll go into all the details later on, but effectively he indicated that a number of like high profile politicians and entertainers in the UK had sexually assaulted him as part of like an orchestrated crime. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And he he basically gave this false accusation. He went to police and said, these people did this to me and it triggered a multi million pound police inquiry sent massive shockwaves through the political establishment because there was like an ex-Poro minister and uh, other high-profile politicians that were accused. But the inquiry ended up closing in 2016 without a single arrest. And eventually, Beach was found, among other things, guilty of 12 counts of perverting the course of justice and one count of fraud. For this specific police inquiry, it started in 2014 when Carl Beach, a former nurse, claimed that his stepfather, Raymond, had sexually abused him as a child in the late 1970s and 80s. He claimed that Raymond would ferry him to parties at exclusive members clubs, Dolphin Square in London and other locations, including swimming pools, attended by the former Prime Minister, Sir Edward Heath, (gasps) former Home Secretary, Leon Britton, uh, the then Chief of Defence Staff, Lord Bramall, ex-MI5 Chief, Michael Hanley, as well as the former Tory MP, Harvey Proctor, among others. He created quite an elaborate story. Children were claimed to have been sexually abused, raped, tortured, and murdered by the gang. Oh, my. Quite a lot he included in there. Yeah. He still sticks to his story to this day. 
Uh, he insists that he was there, he knew it took place. He claims that one of his child friends, Scott, was apparently mowed down by the gang in a revenge hit and run after Beach claimed to have been warned by Hanley that he couldn't have any friends. He also tearfully told the court when he was being tried that he had attempted to save another boy who he claimed was raped and strangled by Harvey Proctor. According to Beach, the child may have been Martin Allen, a teenager who went missing in 1979 and was never found. The details were gruesome. He claimed Proctor and another man had tied the boy to a table uh, with the politician stabbing the child in the arm and cutting his chest and legs. There was a lot of blood, said Beach. He just kept saying sorry. He completely fabricated all of this. This is all his delusion, yeah. This is all fanatical. <laughs> On a third occasion, Beach alleged that Hanley had ordered him and three other boys to choose which one of them was to die at an abuse session before that child was beaten to death. Uh, during one abuse party, Proctor was said to have threatened to cut Beach's genitals with a penknife before handing him the weapon, which he then kept in a memory box for three decades until he handed it over to the police. So again, I presume that he just randomly put a penknife in a box and then just claimed that it was, yeah. On another occasion, Hanley kidnapped Beach's beloved pet dog, supposedly, as a warning for missing up a meet-up with his abusers. So as you can imagine, these are some pretty serious allegations. Yeah. Extremely serious. No one would want to be accused of this. And none of the alleged VIP abusers were named in the initial reports. But their identities became known when their properties were later searched in a string of police raids. Because I guess that's not so subtle. Yeah, that wasn't subtle at all. Yeah, well, he's made it up. It's not true. But even when someone says anything along these lines, it can be so, so damaging to that other person. Because you'll always get someone that will just question, what if, maybe... You just can't ever eliminate that rumour forever. And that's the scary part. Yeah, exactly. And the police proper bought into it initially as well. So, so bad. So the Met Police officer leading the investigation described Beach's account as credible and true. So kind of suggesting that it definitely was real, or it's definitely true, before they actually had that much evidence and that eventually led to the homes of Proctor, Bramall and Britton were raided simultaneously. Britton had died from cancer two months earlier, went to his grave with the allegations hanging over him. <sighs> Bramall, who was a war hero, and Proctor were both interviewed under caution. But Beecher's story began to unravel. Police couldn't find any evidence to back up Beecher's claims. Then, in August 2015... Harvey Proctor gathered journalists for a remarkable press conference in which he outlined the allegations in some very graphic detail. Proctor, who left the Commons in 1987 because he'd got in trouble sleeping with male prostitutes, he defended himself by saying, I am a homosexual, but I am not a paedophile. The pendulum began to swing. Proctor told The Guardian what I'd set out to do had been achieved. Up until then, the media were being fed scraps of information by the police and XRO, who were profiting commercially from selling the stories. So Ixaro were like a media company set up to be like a middleman between the police and the media, I think. The police, for evidential reasons, did not want to give the press too much information, but just enough to keep the pot boiling. They were astonished when nobody came forward. Do you remember when I said one of these leading detectives said that the information was credible and true? Yeah. The Met took an unusual step of basically saying that that was a wrong thing to say. And at that point, it was pretty clear that they'd kind of fucked things up. 
Yeah, well, it's, it is difficult because at the end of the day, this is all hearsay. There is no evidence to prove it, as we do know that he has made these accusations up. But the police have to take every allegation seriously, and they do have to take the correct protocol, regardless of whether it's true or not. But they definitely need to make sure it aligns before it's released to the public. Yeah, I feel like they they probably should have found... So there's... I'll go into more details about this earlier, but it turns out that um, Beach made false accusations in the past, or he'd made accusations in the past that weren't corroborated... There's some things that they probably should have figured out earlier. So wh- one of the things that Carl Beach did was he said that he did he was in contact with another victim, but that that victim was apprehensive about coming forward. So what Beach offered to do, kindly offered to do, he'd be a middleman effectively for the police and the victim, the other victim, and that if they wanted to send emails and get in contact with this other victim and they'd send it to Beach and Beach would send it to this other email account. Okay, yeah. And then the other email account would reply and Carl would send that to the police. But, as you probably guessed, Carl was orchestrating the whole thing. He found an encrypted email address that belonged to no other than Carl Beach. He was orchestrating it all. Oh, it's just terrible. It's quite hard to feel much sympathy for the police as well. Oh, yeah, poor on the police. Like, they will go and just trust this external source. That's, yeah, that is poor policing. They had other warning signs, too, going back to what I was saying. So in January 2016, it emerged that Beach had given an interview to a 2014 television documentary under the alias of Stephen, in which he alleged he had been abused by Jimmy Savile. So, I mean, the guy was delusional. He clearly got off on making allegations and feeling like he got away with it. Obviously, Jimmy Savile was an awful bloke, but with all the other stuff, it's quite easy to be sceptical of that particular allegation by Carl Beach. And things kind of got worse as well. In March 2016, uh, the, the inquiry was closed after the police announced that no further action would be taken against Bramall or Proctor. Heath, who was the former Prime Minister accused, died in 2005. So obviously he was kind of unaffected by this, although obviously his legacy was affected. Um, but Lady Brisson and Bramall uh, later received compensation from the Met after the force admitted the raids on their home should never have taken place. Like After Leon Brisson died in 2015, uh, Tom Watson, who was uh, the deputy leader for Labour Party at the time, wrote a piece for the Sunday Mirror in which he quoted a survivor thought to be Carl Beach who he said had told him that the late politician was as close to evil as a human being could get. Carbage had not only managed to convince the police, but MP, MPs and so Watson had to later apologise for the distress his comments caused and said he would write to Britain's widow. And during the trial, the jurors would hear how Beach had used nearly the exact same phrase to describe Britain in an email sent to his counsel. So it clearly was the same guy. The investigation at this point was sent to a senior judge to review find out what they fucked up which obviously was quite a lot and uh, the, the senior judge's verdict was that senior detectives in the case fell for Beach's false allegations and then misled a judge to get warrants to search the homes of innocent members of the establishment, distressing them and their loved ones. So at this point, obviously Carl Beach bad guy, they pretty much clocked on that this dude's fucked 
Northumbria police got appointed as an outside force and they began investigating Beach for perverting the course of justice, which is obviously just the, the tip of the iceberg. On the 2nd of November 2016, police searched his Gloucestershire home. Also, for the record, I didn't know this case was Gloucester-based <laughs> until I started researching it. I swear that's not intentional. I will do some crimes that aren't just in my hometown eventually. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. What a coincidence. Uh, they found, uh, so when the police searched his Gloucestershire home in 2016, they found an Acer laptop and a MacBook, which they seized both, and an iPad in the front seat of his Ford Mustang sports car. What officers discovered was staggering. Bearing in mind this bloke's accused a load of innocent people of being nonces, uh, they discovered that he had hoarded 350 indecent images of children, dozens of which were the grade A category, which is the most severe. He'd also secretly recorded a teenage schoolboy using the toilet. No. So he's basically accusing people of things that he has done himself. <sighs> yeah. Pretty much, in a nutshell. Wow. Wow. That is disgusting. Yeah, it's really... I mean, it's just hideous. <sighs> he must have thought that the police may only look onto his computer. Ah, <sighs> But like you said, yeah, it's, he must feel invincible. He just probably thinks that the police just won't catch him. It's that pure arrogance. He must have felt some level of invincibility, I don't know. He must think he's so clever that to be, you know, he's treading so close to the wire right now. Yeah. Well, it's really weird. The reason that the police bought into it is like he had a stature that suggested he'd be a reliable dude, a reliable witness and a reliable testimony because he works as a nurse. People just instinctively end up trusting those people more. He had, worryingly, he had loads of access to children in some of his roles. He was like the governor of two schools and... Oh, dear. Abusing the power. Yeah, not good, not good. He looks like a pedo, man. <laughs> Does he? <laughs> I'm sure we'll post. Yeah, well, we, we will be posting pictures of the case, that's for sure. I mean, I don't like to judge a book by its cover, but I literally looked at it and was like, wow, can't believe they weren't just like, obvious nonce. <laughs> <laughs> Dear. Oh. Anyhow. <laughs> anyway, moving on. They found software as well on his, you know, all these devices he had that could disguise forensic footprints. They also found 21 indecent photographs of children hidden behind a calculator app on the iPad. One thing I didn't mention, he got 22 grand um, from the Criminal Injuries Compensation Authority because of his abuse claims. What? 22 grand yeah exactly and he was apparently in like 70k worth of debt you know the question could be was he doing this for notoriety or was he doing it for financial recompensation but yeah that's crazy as well because they've given him that just based on claims rather than like anything corroborated after he was apprehended in sweden so obviously he's been caught lying about all these politician pedos and then it's turned out they found paedophilic images on his devices. So when they apprehended him, he lied to investigators and sought to frame his teenage son for the child abuse images. <gasps> At first pleasing not guilty before switching his plea and accepting responsibility. How dare he? What an awful, awful man. Literally willing to just... It, uh, 
blame your kids. Yeah. You don't do that. Also, it sort of concerns me that he had a child. That is very concerning. Yeah, exactly. That's... How can he blame his child? That is shocking. You know, I thought this case was shocking, but then you just, bam, another... It's hitting me from all sides. This is unbelievable. What a cretin. He was clearly just void of any morality, which is weird because he's managed to like get a career as a nurse and all of that shite. It must all be a facade. Yeah, exactly. Uphold this image so that he could get away with more terrible crimes. Oh, so gross. Yeah, 100%. And I, I wrote a little short paragraph at the end of my notes here about when Beach went to the police, he was like a pillar of respectability. Pillar of the community. Yeah, it, it is, isn't it? And they always put the, they always, all these nonces, all these pedos, pedophiles, always position themselves into an area of society where they are viewed as more trustworthy and can get that access to children. Yeah, exactly. They, you know, they help people out. They're supportive. They're there for a friendly shoulder to cry on. They they do charitable work. They are supportive to the community. Nobody ever says a bad word about them. Like, how could you? They're just so good. And then behind closed doors, they are the most evil, disgusting humans on the planet. And that's just usually the way it goes. And it is so, so shocking. But that statement, paid off the community, it just seems to ping up for a lot of the murder cases and just awful human cases. Exactly. He even originally trained as a paediatric nurse, obviously. More kids. <gasps> Did he really? Yeah, yeah. Ugh, oh, please. And he used to give talks to children as young as five about the dangers of abuse on behalf of the NSPCC. And he volunteered for charity schools speakers program from november 2012 to july 2015 so he'd deliver assemblies and workshops to young children i just can't believe this guy's made it this far in life i mean it'd been going on so long it wasn't until he decided to tread so closely to the line that he ended up getting caught you know with the accusations false accusations towards the politicians do you think if he hadn't have done that that he would have continued his crimes for longer and gotten away with it I don't think so. Uh, what do you think? I don't think he'd have been caught. Yeah, I don't think so either. Maybe he just wanted a bit more excitement. That's why he did it. Very strange. But he'd uh, set it up perfectly, hadn't he? Yeah, I think so. He knew what he was doing. I don't know if it was maybe just the... He thought he'd just get some money and... But he, yeah, I mean, he got money for it. And just the, the, the severity of the stories as well. Like, it all sounded so graphic. Must have been a good actor, mind. Yeah, that's very concerning. Must have been. Yeah, he probably convinced himself it was real. But that that is the crazy case of Carl Beach. What a case. Ugh, what a case. It's weird how, I mean, with false confessions you get the, okay, it's like coerced out of you. Although obviously there's that other type that you discussed about, like unprompted, where like voluntary, yeah. Uh, I guess there's probably an element of that within most false accusations, like Carl Beach's. Yeah, exactly. Like, averting attention onto someone else or just taking the blame. Like, yeah, you can definitely see that. I think so. I mean, he obviously, he wasn't doing it to take the blame off someone. Oh, actually... He was doing it for the fame, wasn't he? The attention. I was going to say, maybe he was doing it to try and make himself feel better about what he was doing. 
Maybe. Hmm. Potentially, but then if he hasn't shown any remorse or morality or... Yeah, I think he didn't, didn't show much empathy. Well, thank you very, very much for sharing that case with us today, Greg, especially when you're not feeling very well, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I powered through. I powered through. Probably going to have to edit out all my sniffing and coughing, but we'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, we'll be okay. We'll manage. Do you want to run through the socials? Absolutely. So send your emails or anything you like, your stories, anything, to our email address at goreandguiltypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram where you can see lots of photos related to the cases that we talk about, as well as other fun things, at goreandguiltypodcast. Follow us on Twitter at goreandguilty. Join our Facebook group, goreandguiltypodcast. Yeah, so I hope you enjoyed that. It was a hoot. Uh, make sure you give us a review let us know what you think of these episodes your feedback is greatly appreciated and remember we won't judge if gore is your guilty pleasure thank you very much for listening see you next week bye